You are listening to the audio ministry for More Nations Church, Cardiff. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. That four-minute break was just so anyone who'd forgotten could run out to the shop quickly and get a card. But let's turn to the Word of God together. Mark chapter 2, please. Mark chapter 2. I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin. It's a question we're going to be asking um, students this week as we meet them. But what do you look for in a friend? What do you look for in a friend? Are you friends with people merely because you happen to live with them or near them or work with them or attend a meeting with them on a Sunday? Or have you intentionally chosen in your life that you want certain people and certain kinds of people to be your friends? Someone put it this way, a a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he's really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Henry Ford, the pioneer of Ford motor cars, put it this way, my best friends are those who bring the best out of me. Do your friends bring the best out of you? Do you think your friends would say of you that you bring the best out of them? The Bible has lots of encouragements about friendship and lots of warnings too. For example, Paul tells the church in Corinth that bad company corrupts good character. But the book of Proverbs also tells us that a a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Do you have people in your life who love you at all times? Isn't it great? Oil and perfume make the heart glad, said Solomon. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do you have sweet friends who give you earnest counsel? It usually is short and sharp and to the point, isn't it? We are living in an increasingly isolated society. People could have 500 Facebook contacts, but no real friends in the real world. You can have every gadget under the sun. You can have a MacBook, a smartphone, and an iPod. Maybe an iPad as well, if you're really lucky. But you can have no one to talk to. You know, you could even live under the same roof as someone, but not not share any life with them at all. This week, the Office of National Statistics published a study that they've been undertaking, and... They were comparing and contrasting some things in the UK with 40 years ago, 1973, 40 years ago. And they worked out that people between the ages of 25 and 44 were five times more likely to be living alone than 40 years ago. Five times more likely to be living alone. They, they found out that one in eight people of those that they interviewed um, were going home to have dinner on their own that evening. There is a great lonely community in this world. Now, this isn't a sermon against people living on their own or eating on their own, but it is a sermon that's encouraging us this, that God doesn't want anyone to be lonely. God doesn't want anyone to be alone. After all, he looked at the creation that he'd made, perfect, not tarnished by sin or rebellion, but wonderful and beautiful in his sight. He looked at Adam, ready to work in the garden, and he said, it's not good for man 
to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. You see, our God, the psalmist said in Psalm 68, puts the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. If you're here this morning and you're a member of this church, God does not want you to be lonely. He doesn't want you, and nor do any of us, want you to be existing as a single, isolated cell in this body. He wants you to enjoy life, fellowship, and friendship with the rest of this community. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but maybe you're not a member of this church, maybe you're just visiting us, maybe it's Mother's Day, you've come to visit some family, I want you to know that the same applies to you. Wherever you live, God wants you to be part of a community of believers. He wants you to belong to a church where you are loved and cared for, where you can serve and thrive. Now, it may be here, it may be somewhere else, but we pray that you find it and that God blesses you as you do. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you don't know the Lord Jesus, you've never put your faith and your trust in him, then the good news that we have for you today is that Jesus Christ wants to save you from your sins, set you free from every problem in your life, but he also wants you to enjoy a right relationship with yourself, with your own family, and with his people. Every one of us who is a member of this body, the member of this church, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ one day, and that meant that not only were we joined to him, but we were joined to one another. There aren't any lone rangers in the Christian faith, because of course, remember, the lone ranger travelled with Tonto. Don't think the Lone Ranger was a loner. Now, God has been speaking to us, and we've been looking carefully over the last couple of weeks, about what it means to be a people, what it means to be a covenant people. Love the word covenant. Say the word covenant with me. Now, you may never have heard that word before. Um, But our God, the Bible says, is a covenant-making and keeping God, and we are a covenant-keeping people. Covenant is an agreement, an arrangement between two parties by which they are bound to certain responsibilities and are given access to certain privileges. What it means for us that God is a covenant-keeping God is that he will never break his word. He'll never tell you a lie. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You'll never wake up one morning and find that some of the promises in the Bible no longer apply to you. His word is true. He is real. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right of the Hebrews says that Jesus has made an everlasting covenant with us. God has been so good to us. We've seen that Jesus lived a covenant life. He lived a life of love, of service. He was faithful. He never gave up on anyone. And he was loyal even when his friends betrayed him. We've seen that we are a united people. Unstoppable as lava that flows from a volcano. A people in agreement with one another and God. We've seen that the church is a community, a family, a brotherhood. I don't have any natural brothers. Sometimes I wish that I did, but I realize that I have something much better than natural brothers. I have spiritual brothers. I have spiritual brothers. I should say, I have a, I have a great natural sister, I should say. Just in case anyone was concerned. Yeah. Well, it's Mother's Day. I had to mention it at some point. How many of you were here maybe two weeks ago when Ezekiel Shavemba shared the word of God with us? Yeah. Business from Oldham, and he encouraged us to stick together. 
church is a community of people with a body of Christ. We stay connected. We're going to continue looking at this morning because I believe God has so much more great things for us to see in terms of being a community of God's people, being brothers and friends together, being a covenant community that never quits on one another, never gives up on one another, and sees every one of us succeed and thrive. So we're going to read a story in the Bible in Mark chapter 2. It's a great story. It's a true story. The story I'm about to read you happened. Verse 1 of Mark chapter 2 says this, A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. The paralytic got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, before we dive into the rest of the story, let me just tell you a couple of things about him that this story reveals. The first is this. Jesus forgives sins. Anything that you've ever done wrong in your life, Jesus is able and willing to forgive you today. If you've come here this morning and you need forgiveness of sins in your life, I want you to know you've come to the right place because we're going to give you opportunity later on to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus forgives sins. The next thing is this. Jesus heals sicknesses. Word of God says that Jesus heals sicknesses. And we believe, because the Bible tells us, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So again, if you've come here this morning and you need to be healed, you've come to the right place. Because Jesus heals sicknesses. Now this is the best thing. If you don't know anything about Jesus Christ, this is the best thing of all, I think. It's not only that Jesus forgives sins, it's not only that he heals diseases, but Jesus is always able to exceed your expectations. What did the people say? We have never seen anything like this. I want you to know this morning that some of you are going to leave this meeting today saying, I have never seen anything like this. I'll give you a moment to think about that. Yeah? We have never seen anything like this. That can be our confident expectation every time we meet together as God's people. Why go for run of the mill when our God is the God who can exceed all our expectations? Now Jesus is wonderful. And this story I think is a great example of what it means to live a covenant life. 
You see, we've seen in the last couple of weeks that covenant is a life lived of loyalty and of faithfulness. But this is something else that is important for us to understand about covenant. Covenant means you stay in when the going gets tough. You see, here's a man who needed a big touch from Jesus. His friends around him thought he needed to be healed, but he needed far more than that. He needed deliverance from his sins as well. But he couldn't get to Jesus without the help of some friends. Imagine the scene. Here's a group of people. We don't know much about them. Maybe they were a family. Maybe they lived in the same neighborhood or community. I don't know. Maybe they worked together at Tesco in Capernaum High Street. What we do know, though, is that one of them was sick. Very sick, in fact. This person was a paralytic. They couldn't walk. Had to lie down on a mat to be carried. This is a serious sickness. Now, someone, we don't know which one of them, maybe it was the paralytic, maybe it was one of the crowd, but someone has heard that Jesus is back in Capernaum. Now, this is important for them because last time Jesus was in Capernaum, which you read about in Mark chapter 1, he taught powerfully in the synagogue, he cast out demons, he'd healed the sick, and in fact, he'd gone to the home of Simon and Andrew, and Mark records that the whole town had gathered at the door, and Jesus had healed many who had various diseases. Maybe this group who brought the paralytic to Jesus had heard Jesus teach at the synagogue. Maybe they'd seen him move in power at Simon and Andrew's house. Maybe one of them had been healed last time Jesus came through. We don't know, but whatever happened to them in the past, they knew this. That if they got their friend to Jesus, their friend would be healed. They knew. They weren't thinking it wasn't a wish. They knew if they got their friend to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. So imagine the scene, someone, they're sitting around, maybe they're you know, on their break at Tesco in Capernaum, and someone suggests that they take the man to Jesus, maybe the paralytic man himself. Maybe he says, I've heard that Jesus is back in town, and I want him to heal me, but I need someone to take me. Maybe it's one of the guys who carried him there, and they've said, I've heard that Jesus is back in town, we're taking our friend to Jesus, and Jesus is going to heal him. We don't know. But what we do know is this. They all agreed on a course of action. They were all determined to bring their friend to Jesus. And nothing was going to get in their way. But then they turn up at the house and they can't get in. There is a crowd bigger than anything you've ever seen. It's bigger than the crowd trying to get in here on a Sunday morning. There's no room to stand. There's no room to sit. There's no room to get in. So what do they do? Well, boys, we tried our best. I guess it's God's will for him to live with this. I mean, the Lord knows we tried hard, but we can't get anywhere near him. Is that what they did? No. They pushed through the crowd. They persevered. They made a hole in someone's roof. They removed every and any obstacle preventing their friend getting to Jesus. Now, what happens? Imagine the scene now. Let's, you know, I'll just make sure no one's coming through the roof of the building here. Imagine them lowering them down. What does Jesus do? Does he, excuse me, I, I'm, I'm preaching. 
Do you mind? I've got three points and I'm on point two. (sighs) Ruin the anointing. Disturb the mood. Does he tell them off for making a mess of the roof? After all, it says that they all went on their way, so someone was left having to tidy it up afterwards. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He says, he looks at their faith, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you know, I want you to know this. Jesus is never too busy for you. You know, when you pray for him, when you pray to him, sorry, um, you know, you're not interrupting something that he's doing powerfully in Mexico. He doesn't put you on hold and leave you with one of the angels while he's sorting out something in the Vatican. He's not like that. He's always got time for you. He's always got time for me. Well, he's everywhere. Jesus, and we come to him today, he's not going to turn anyone away who Amen. wants forgiveness of sins. Won't turn anyone away who needs to be healed. It's not what he's like. Oh, come on, give me a bigger amen than that. Yeah? Jesus is, won't turn anyone away. Now, how does this apply to us today? How does this apply to us as All Nations Church or as a visitor here this morning? How does this apply to us as we're trying to live out a covenant life as a people together? Well, let me ask you this. How do you react when your brother or your friend is in trouble? How do you cope when someone you know is in need? Do you take them down the road of self-pity? Or do you lead them on the path towards Jesus? What do you do? Do you sit down with someone and say, well, I always knew you'd get sick. Where you've been living these all these years, knew it would happen. You play far too much sport. You were always going to get pains in your legs when you got older. I told you. You should listen to me. Oh, well, you're in debt. Well, you know, you've gone on all those fancy holidays. No? Lord's smiting you. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't, would you? Don't look for that in a friend. (laughs) Well, I told you so. That's not what you need in a crisis, is it? That's not what this paralytic needed. Well, you know, you've hurt your back because you've been, you know, jumping from roof to roof too many times or something like that. I don't know. That's not what they were like with him. They agreed and believed that Jesus was going to heal him. That's what you need. That's what we want to be, isn't it? That if you have a friend who's here this morning and they're sick, it's not, well, you know, go home, lie to bed. No, it's, let me lay my hands on you and Jesus is going to heal you. And this is what I want to say to you this morning. Every one of us can lead others to Jesus in times of challenge and difficulty. Every one of us can lead people to Jesus in times of challenge and difficulty. Now, we often talk about leading people to Jesus in terms of evangelism. Yes, absolutely. We'll come to that later. But every one of us, if Christ is living in us, are constantly witnessing to the fact that Christ is living in us. I trust that this morning, as I'm sharing the word of God with you, that I'm leading you to Jesus. If not, I'm wasting your time. So you can be the means by which your brother or sister in Christ in need can be led afresh to Christ and have their need met. You can be. Every one of us can lead others to Jesus in times of challenge and difficulty. And you know, we all need people who will lead us to Jesus. 
No one is too important. No one is too big. No one is well-read or intelligent enough to not need others in the body of Christ to lead them to Jesus. When the pressure's on, when the challenge seems too big to face, we all need people around us who will lead us and point us to Jesus. That's why when we face challenging circumstances, the worst thing you can do is stop spending time with other Christians. It's like being given medicine to take and not taking it. We all need faithful friends. Now let me give you a great definition of what a faithful friend is. A faithful friend is a friend full of faith. You can have that for free this morning. A faithful friend is a friend full of faith. Hallelujah. How would you like to be someone involved in someone else's miracle? Would you like to be involved? Yeah. How would you like to be the means by which God works a miracle in your brother and sister's life? Or in someone who doesn't know him at all? Would you like that? Would you like that? You can say no if you want to. We haven't got the tea and coffee ready though, so you'd have to stay in here for a while. We need to learn some lessons from this story then, if we're going to be like these men who led the paralytic to Jesus. So the first thing I want to say to you this is this morning, is this. If we're going to be those who lead others to Jesus, if we're going to be those who help our brothers and sisters in time of need, if we're going to be those who fulfill our covenant obligations when the going gets tough, then very simply, we need to know where Jesus is. You see, these men knew where Jesus was. It wasn't just that they'd heard that Jesus was back in Capernaum. They knew where they could find him. They knew they'd heard he was at home. They knew the house that they had to go to. They weren't kind of searching around in a panic looking for him. They knew exactly where he was. They knew exactly where to lead him. Now, Jesus is not in Capernaum today. So where is he? Well, first and foremost, he's in you. Christ lives in you. Let me turn to a scripture that we're looking at a lot at the moment in Galatians chapter 2. You need to know where Jesus is. These men knew exactly where to take him, knew exactly what he was able, capable of doing. But Jesus Christ now lives in you and me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that is exciting. We're going to be looking at that in detail at our Easter conference. It's going to be great. But Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. We've read it a lot. It doesn't make it any less powerful. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ lives in you and me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, so what? That means that you can be the means by which others receive the life of Jesus Christ. Don't need someone with a badge or a title. It's not always someone else. It's going to be you. 
People come across your path who need encouragement. They need a financial gift. They need a prayer. They need a lift somewhere in a car. Whatever. You have the means within you because Christ is living in you to meet the needs. That's a fact. That's a biblical fact that we believe. We do not believe that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people who have barely made it. We do not believe that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people who are still sinners. We do not believe and we do not teach and we do not practice that Christians are worms who've barely made it. We do not believe that. We do not believe in striving to get God's approval when he has already approved us in Christ. We believe that the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is effective today. We believe that, amen? We believe in the power of his blood and in the power of his name. And we believe that it has nothing whatsoever to do with our own natural ability or flesh. We believe it's all by his grace. I meet Christians all the time. All the time. Who believe that they have to do something for God in order to make him happy. It's not true. It's a lie. I meet people who tell me that sin is still in them. Even though they've come to Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. That's what the Bible teaches. Yeah? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you want to hear more, come to the Easter conference. <laughs> Turn with me to Matthew 18, because we also need to understand something else this morning. And it's not only that Christ lives in you as an individual believer, but we must also understand that there is an incredible power at work whenever the church gathers together in the name of Jesus. There is a lie that is sown in every generation that Christians can get by without being members of churches, without fellowshipping with other believers regularly. It's a nonsense. The writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, don't get in the habit of not meeting together. Do you know you can develop a habit where you're not meeting with other Christians? How often do you have to do it so that you're in the habit of not meeting them? Do you mean you hide from them in like Tesco's? Do you deliberately arrange to do things on the night that life group's on? Do you have a list of excuses to get out of prayer meetings that's kind of preordained? You know, how, how hard do you have to work not to spend time with Christians? You'd have to really work hard at it. Yeah. I love meeting together with other Christians. Matthew chapter 18 verse 19 says this. Again I tell you. That if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Wow. (laughs) Whenever. Two or three. Now that's not limited to two or three. It can be even more than that. Whenever Christians come together in the name of Jesus. There he is among them. Hallelujah. The Lord is present here this morning. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. Now let me ask you a question. If you have a need that you know Jesus can meet, if you have a need that you know Jesus can meet, why would you allow that to prevent you from meeting with a group of people where you know Jesus will be present? Why would you do that? 
If you're sick in your body and you are able to get out of bed and to a gathering, why stay at home with paracetamol when you can come to the meeting and meet Jesus and be healed? If you're in financial need and you're thinking, I can't get to this meeting, I can't afford to come to the meeting this morning, why not come with your offering? Bring your offering, give it in faith and expect the Lord to bless you. I made a decision when I was studying that I would never miss a meeting in order to revise. Not because I was addicted to going to meetings, but I just decided that I put the Lord first in certain areas of my life and that whatever I needed, he was able to provide for me. And I found as I met with other Christians, he improved my ability to study. He'd give me insights as I was in a life group meeting. And those of you who know me know that I did all right in my studies. I did quite well. Because I chose in everything to put the Lord first. Sometimes, you know, we need to phone one another up when we see that we're not present here on a Sunday and find out where we are. If you miss a friend, they're not with you when you're meeting together in the week. Find out where they are. They might be in need and you could meet that need. Yeah, We're not kind of keeping tabs on one another. We love one another. If we have dinner at our house and one of the kids isn't there, we go look, we go look for them until we find them. <laughs> Usually find them hiding under a cushion. <laughs> or in the dishwasher. That's happened once. <clears throat> I have adventurous children. So you need to know where Jesus is. Very simple. Second thing is this. You need to see beyond yourself. These men who brought the paralytic to Jesus were joined together in a common cause much bigger than themselves. They saw that their friend was in need and that Jesus could meet that need. Life in covenant community, life in the body of Christ can never be selfish. It can never be self-seeking. It can never be about you fulfilling your own personal dreams. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Met a young man before Christmas who was studying here in Cardiff. And he began to talk to me about all the plans that he had for his life and how he was going to be excellent in everything that he did and this, that and the other. And uh, he claimed, he said he was a Christian and so on and so forth. And I asked him, what does God want you to do? And he looked at me as if I'd asked him a question in a foreign language. What on earth do you mean? What does God want me to do? Because for him, he had a world. And he was the center of his world. And he had allowed God to come into his world to help him rule his world. That's not the Christian life. The Holy Spirit has not come to help me live my life. Holy Spirit has come to help me live the life of Christ. It's not about me. It's not about, it's not about me. It's not, it's about Jesus having everything that he wants. And us being a people that prefer one another. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any conduct from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Nothing wrong with looking out for your own interests. We have responsibilities. I have a wife to care for, children to care for. I have uh, bills to pay. But I'm not consumed with my own interests all the time. 
I'm not walking, looking out just at my own interests. I'm looking at the interests of others. How can I help? How can I serve? How can I encourage? You know, sometimes the Lord makes you meet with other Christians, not for your benefit, but for theirs. See beyond yourself. You know, life is wonderful beyond yourself. (laughs) E. Stanley Jones defined joy this way. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. I like that. So know where Jesus is. Know that Jesus lives in you and know that um, he's present here as we meet together as the church. See beyond yourself. The next, this is very simple, the next one, but be strong. You know, these men were strong. They had to carry a paralytic man to Jesus' house. They had to push through a crowd. They had to climb up onto a roof. They had to dig an opening and lower him down. They would have, they would have been physically strong men. They weren't running along and one of them accidentally dropped him. Sorry, boys, I hadn't been warming up properly. It's a calf. Um, they... They were strong men. If we are going to be those who lead others to Christ, if we're going to be those who help one another overcome challenges and difficulties in life, we have to be strong. Paul says to the Galatians, carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. It doesn't mean throw away your own responsibilities. You've got to be strong in order that you can hold others up. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. I'm just going to give you two really simple keys that you can put into practice that will keep you strong. When Ezekiel was with us a couple of weeks ago, I was really blessed and I was also really challenged by how often he told us to keep doing the simple things in life. This is why I'm emphasizing the importance of of community life this morning because none of us is beyond the simplicity of living in fellowship and relationship with one another. After all, God himself is a, is a fellowship. Is a, it, he lives in relationship with himself. But God wants us to be strong. Now, you can be physically strong if you want to, but God is concerned with your spiritual strength. And just in the same way that you can do exercises, go to the gym, you can tell I've never been inside a gym, can't you? Um, but God wants us to be people who have done spiritual exercise and spiritual discipline so that we're spiritually strong. So let me give you two really simple things that everyone here can do. And if you can't, we'll enable you by the end of the meeting. This is the first one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Verse 14, sorry, not 15, verse 14. So halfway through the verse, it says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You want to be strong? Get the word of God into you. Really? That simple? That simple. Read the word of God. Believe it. Let it find a living place in your heart. And don't let anything dislodge it. The word of God will be in you. You will grow strong. Seriously, give me something else. Read the word. Get the word of God into you. Read it every day. Put it into practice. Whatever it says, do it. Believe it. You'll be strong. The word of God will make you strong. I know that's simple, but it's obvious, but it's true. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you want to be strong, get the word of God into you. There is no substitute for reading and meditating and studying the word of God. 
We don't have a devotional time in the morning just to keep God happy before we go out into the world and live our own life. Okay? The rest of your day, if you like, is an opportunity for you to put into practice what God has showed you in the morning. Talk about the word of God. Moses said to the um, Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, you know, talk about it when you're walking. Talk about it when you're eating. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about the word. You can only talk about the word if the word's in you. So talk about the word. Here's another simple thing. Speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Everyone who prophesies speaks in... Um, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their encouraging, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. What does edify mean? To build yourself up, to strengthen yourself. If you want to be strong, if you want to lead other people to Jesus, if you want to be a means by which people can have encouraging life through your living, you need to speak in tongues. There is no substitute. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not able to speak in tongues, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we want you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. If you're going to be strong, get the word of God into you and speak in tongues. Really that simple? That's simple. It's the simple things that trip us up. One more. Have persevering faith. These men made an opening in the roof of this house and they dug through it to lower this man down to Jesus. They looked, there was a crowd in the way, but they wouldn't let anything stop them leading their friend to Jesus. They wouldn't let anything stop them bringing their friend to Jesus. Nothing would stop them. Not a crowd, not a roof, not even religious leaders who were sat in the room looking at everything with cynical eyes. Nothing would stop them leading their friend to Jesus. Don't give up then. Persevere in your faith. Believe in others even when they don't believe in themselves. Believe in God for others when they even can't believe in God for themselves. But don't give up. Don't take no for an answer when God has said yes. Don't stop with the crowd when God has said go into the house. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10. Perseverance is a wonderful thing. Know where Jesus is. See beyond yourself. Be strong and have persevering faith. You know, Jesus is looking for faith. It says in Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I've decided he will. I want him to find it in me. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Doesn't matter how rich I may be, how clever I may be, doesn't matter how well I dress, without faith, I cannot please God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 13, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35, sorry, says this. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Do you notice that? If you want to receive something, it's going to involve perseverance. It's going to involve the temptation to throw something away. And you're going to overcome that temptation. You are going to persevere and you're going to receive what has been promised. I wonder if one of the guys who was carrying this paralytic suddenly thought, Oh, I'm tired. I've been dragging this guy here now. We can't even get in the house. Maybe one of them thought about giving up, but they didn't give up. The temptation to give up is not the same as giving up. The temptation to give up is merely the opportunity for you to strengthen your resolve. Strengthen your resolve today. 
that you're not going to settle for anything less than what God has promised you. Keep on going. Um, my wife and I had a phrase that we like to use at home quite often. Uh, I think we got it from my dad who was preaching one Sunday about hope. And he was saying, if you don't quit, you'll win. And when we had days that we weren't particularly looking forward to facing, when we had to, um, challenges that we were facing, we knew that if we didn't quit, we'd win. Now, coming to an end, all of this would have been impossible. But for one thing. All of this wouldn't have happened if the paralytic hadn't trusted his friends. They could have had all the faith in the world that Jesus was going to heal him. They could have had all the determination that they were going to put him on this mat, carry him to Jesus, and that God was going to work a miracle. But if the paralytic didn't trust his friends, none of it would have happened. Can you imagine what would have happened? They're trying to they're saying, now listen, we're going to take you and Jesus is going to heal you. No, I just, I, you've said that to me before, but... Uh, you let me down. I can't, I can't trust you. you took, you've taken me other places and nothing's happened for me. You, I know, you'll drop me. Like, look at you. You're not very strong. You're going to drop me. What happens if there's a crowd there? We won't be able to get through. No, the paralytic trusted his friends. Got to trust your friends. The paralytic never questioned his friends. He never questioned their love for him. And he never questioned their plan to bring him to Jesus. George MacDonald said this, Few delights can equal the presence of one whom we trust utterly. I want to encourage you this morning, trust the Lord and trust your brothers in Christ. Jonathan shared with us a couple of weeks ago as we broke bread together that the Bible says that those who trust in God will never be put to shame. That's true, isn't it? We believe that, don't we? Those who trust in him are never put to shame. But the Bible also tells us that we can trust our friends. Proverbs 27 says this, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Why is that? Because love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you've um, had opportunities in your life where people have let you down, when you've trusted people and they've not performed rightly, we want the Lord to heal you today. You may need to forgive people. You may need to let things go. But we want you to know that this community is a community in which people can be trusted. Okay? Covenant community of God's people can be trusted. What we say we will do and what we do is what we say. We believe that God is trustworthy. And therefore, because we are a covenant people like he's a covenant God, we are trustworthy. So know where Jesus is. See beyond yourself. Be strong in the Lord. Have persevering faith. And trust the Lord in your brothers and sisters. This will enable you to not only be a person who can be led to Jesus by others, but you can be a person who leads others to Jesus. I'd like us to pray for a moment if that's okay. We don't want to let this meeting go by this morning without giving an opportunity for anyone who's here today who's never um, put their faith and trust in Jesus to do so. So if every head will be bowed for a moment, I just want to give you the opportunity. If you're here and you've never 
Put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian and you're here today and you have heard what we've said, you've heard the testimonies that have gone on this morning, um, you've experienced God's power as we worship together, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, then we want to invite you to do that. And we want to talk with you and pray with you. And so um, in order to know who you are, would you just kindly raise your hand and we'll see your hand and we'll acknowledge that you're here. If there's anyone here this morning who wants to give their life to Jesus Christ, Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for every person who's here this morning that they would know your love, they'd know your peace, they'd know your strength, that they'd know with fresh reality today that you live in them by the Holy Spirit, that you'd help them to see beyond themselves at all times, that you'd help them to be strong in your word and in the Holy Spirit that Lord in everything they'd find you trustworthy and that you'd lead them to friends who themselves would be trustworthy as well we thank you Lord for all you're doing in your precious name we pray Amen You've been listening to a message from All Nations Church Cardiff To download other messages subscribe to our podcast or find out more about us log on to www.allnationschurch.org.uk Thank you.